0: Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers,
1: and me, Kami Nuttall, Founder of Culture Lab Consultancy.
0: Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do.
1: You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the
0: Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work.
1: And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. It's
0: hard enough being a person of color at work, but how much harder is it to be a person of color who is also neurodivergent? How do you even start to break the wheel of power and privilege at work where you and your organization are committed to equity and inclusion, but you just don't know where to start? In this series, we're exploring the challenges beyond the obvious and discussing the intersectional challenges that have to be addressed to produce a truly equitable and inclusive workplace. And today, we're looking at how to break the wheel of power and privilege around ableism. And I've chosen a guest for you who goes way deep into that subject, focusing on equity and inclusion for neurodivergent people from the global majority. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Reena Anand, a solicitor and former ombudsman. She specializes in the Equality Act and consumer vulnerability. Rina's journey began when her son was diagnosed autistic, revealing a stark absence of tailored support for global majority parents in similar circumstances. This inspired her consultancy, Race and Autism Advocacy. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and the Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and explore new possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose. This is where we explore and test our ideas with amazing guests who've done or are doing the work. Now, this is an interactive conversation with myself, Rena, and our co-host, Roger Williams, who I'm delighted to say will be co-hosting with me on the whole series. You've met him before, so you will know him well from our other episodes. So, uh, you know, leave us a comment, talk to us about what you're finding, what insights you're getting, or even any questions you have for Rena that we can pass on to her. I almost can't believe that we're on our fifth season. So thank you so much for sticking around. Many of you have told me that you're getting a huge amount of value from listening to the podcasts and learning a lot. And I really appreciate that. So let me tell you a little bit about Rena. Rina uses evidence-based research to address cultural biases that hinder global majority autistic individuals from obtaining diagnosis and support. She explores how race and ethnicity intersect to shape health and educational outcomes. Now, what I love about this is that like us, Rina takes a very research-based approach. And I think, Rina, that gives um, you a huge amount of credibility and a lot of value to the people you work with rina contributes to vital discussions about the impact of health education and social policies on global majority communities beyond consulting rena serves as a co-production board member at or abilities promoting neurodiversity she's a trustee at the race equality foundation advocating for race equality in social support and public services rena also participates in an autism assessment digitization pilot at the Institute of Child Health at Great Ormond Street. So you can see Rena is absolutely the right person to be having this conversation with us. And the conversation we're having today is exploring how do you even start to break the wheel of power and privilege for colleagues who are neurodivergent or who have children who are neurodivergent. So everyone enjoy this insightful episode into ableism and how to break the wheel of power and privilege in this area. So, Rina our work is very much to do with relative privilege, and thank you for inviting your audience also to join this podcast. I thought... To do that, it would be useful for us to have a quick conversation about relative privilege, what that is, what that means to us. So, Roger, you've been doing a lot of research for us in this area, and I thought it would be great if maybe you you start off that conversation.
2: Hey, Reena. Hi, everyone. I'm really, really delighted to be part of this series um, so onto the subject of relative privilege. Relative privilege is, is 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 fundamentally something that shows up in in so many different contexts, where people's position and power shifts dynamically on on a case by case basis. In one room, you're the you're the kind of focal point, the leader, the the attraction. In another room, you're a, you're a you're a kind of a minor contributor in another room you're you're actually not even wanted, you're you're irrelevant and and it's very difficult to communicate. So the research that we've been conducting into relative privilege, which was just astounded me that there was nothing like it before, um, basically uncovered the fact that relative privilege is an incredibly present feature of today's society. Our behaviors are getting better in certain aspects, in certain elements of respect, but privilege itself is still profound uh, in, in, in the impact that it has and the presence that it has in so many organizations. Um, and it's something that, if it's unaddressed, can lead to some kind of catastrophic outcomes for you and for your organization. Um, And it's something really, really worth monitoring. Um, We did a very quick analysis and discovered that, for instance, if an organization lost lost your data, there would be a massive hoo-ha and losses running into hundreds of thousands of pounds. If your organization has a catastrophic failure of privilege, put some extra zeros onto the back end of that cost. Both for the reputation of the organization all the individuals involved and maybe never recovering from it so it's a basis of foundation um, of the some of the research that we've been doing that gives a little bit of insight into the power of relative privilege hopefully that that kind of sets it up
0: brilliant that's brilliant thank you roger and there are um just to Talk about those zeros. I think recently there have been some class action suits against very large multinationals that have almost bankrupted them. So it it is no joke. Um, my um, current ex- Well, I've got a couple of current examples. One is um, I flew back from Sri Lanka last night and had a nine-hour stopover in Dubai. And I was wondering, what on earth am I going to do my nine hours? And fortunately for me, I've got a British passport, so I can literally just walk out of the airport into Dubai and have dinner with my cousins. If I had a Sri Lankan passport, that would be impossible. Relative privilege, right? Citizenship privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one I think it's relevant to share right now is the whole thing about... um, Abuse of surge, female surgeons, fourteen hundred female surgeons were interviewed, and I think it was two-thirds of them said they'd been abused, and it was something like ten percent of them had been raped by their mentors or people who are more senior surgeons, So that's positional power and privilege, which is absolutely shocking that that could happen in the NHS. So those are my couple of examples. Rena, I'm sure you've got lots of examples as well.
1: I mean, just hearing you and, and Roger share yours actually brought an, an example to mind, um, namely that I guess I, my background is, is as a lawyer and as, you know, as an ombudsman, I was essentially at the kind of highest level of that uh, career path. But actually, when it came to being a parent of a neurodivergent child, trying to navigate a legal system and services, I was as clueless as you could imagine. I I knew I didn't know that there was particular language that you needed to use. I didn't know that when you describe your child's challenges, you need to describe them on their very worst day in the examples um that there were particular things that you had to say. you know this was all another world, and I was it, despite having multiple degrees and credentials in this world, I was quite frankly illiterate. Well, wow. got it, and Rina, so
0: talk to us a little bit about what inspired you and how you got into what you now do, having been at such a senior level as a lawyer and an ombudsman.
1: So, I mean, I think I've always been justice oriented. I, I, this has all come through reflection as well, but um, I, I realized everything I've ever done has been around advocacy and justice, which is what made me become a lawyer in the first place, and then later to become an ombudsman because it's a it was a free service to the British public. Um, but I, whilst I was there, I and I re, we were receiving cases around um, race and disability discrimination, we didn't have ways to deal with, with, case, with these cases and, and address these complaints, because it, uh, fundamentally it's um, evidence-based uh, investigation. So we needed a strategy. And so I took it upon myself to draft um, uh, guidance on how we can address complaints. Um, That involved, in particular, uh, racist allegations against businesses. So, someone goes into a bank and has an interaction with someone behind the counter. And, you know, um, I heard really horrific stories from members of the public around how they were treated um, by insurance companies or by, um, you know, their local bank branch and things like that. And because of the nature of the allegations, you know, historically they were dealt with with, um, okay, we can't prove it, so therefore we can't address it. And actually that can't ever be the way we had to evolve. Um, And so that's why uh, it piqued my interest in the Equality Act, how we could um, resolve these cases within the parameters of what we were statutorily allowed to do um, by parliament as an ombudsman service. But I successfully published the guidance. I also led the Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic Network And then I I headed up the team that dealt with the most vulnerable consumers that came to the service. And they were often people with uh, significant mental health challenges um, or um, autistic, a significant number were autistic or had or, or were victims of domestic abuse. And the more I did that, the more I could see the inequities that people were experiencing in society. And in tandem, while this was all going on, I received my own son's autism diagnosis. Um, And that's really what propelled me to combine my uh, professional experience with my personal experience and to and to use it to advocate um, for others so that we can all just appreciate um, neurodivergence and its many shapes and forms and really recognize the ableism that is so deeply seeped into society. We don't even realize that it's part of our way of thinking and being.
0: Wow. So Roger and I are really into research, and I think you've done a huge amount of research in this specific area, the intersection between global majority and neurodiversity. Um, What have you found the most fascinating or shocking?
1: Oh, Oh, there's so much. Okay, so there was some research published by Cambridge University back in 2021, and it looked at um mainstream school pupils who had an autism diagnosis and that so that was there was about 7 million school children of of whom around 120,000 had an autism, confirmed autism diagnosis, and had an education and healthcare plan uh, in place. So, f- for those who aren't familiar, an education and healthcare plan is a legal document which um, you have to apply for. There's lots of paperwork to do, you need to provide lots of evidence. And then the local authority grants you um, this plan, which will stipulate the support um, that your child will receive from the school. Um, I make it sound very simple. It's a very long and arduous process, um, and men, most parents don't get what they ask for the first time round, uh, which can lead to um, legal challenge and things like that. But we, we can move on to that afterwards. So this, this so this data looked at seven million school children, around one hundred twenty thousand were autistic, and it broke it also down by race and ethnicity. And what it found was that the highest prevalence of autism was found in Black Asian and Chinese pupils, but they received disproportionately less support and uh, interventions from the school. So there was a, a real disparity there around the speed at which they received their education and healthcare plan, the speed at which the interventions were then instituted, and all of this impacts, how, it impacts that child's development. Um most you know when i when I got evie's um when I was on the pathway to get Evie's diagnosis at that time, I was quoted three years, he was four at that time. developmentally in a child's world, a lot can happen in three years, which is why um you know there there has been you know a huge outcry from parents to say it's it's just not the system is not good enough at the moment It's awful so what you've shared with us there are kind of
0: three. Tears that I'd love to explore with you. One is your personal experience as an employee and what you had to deal with. The other is really then how you dealt with learning about Evie and how you've now created this amazing environment for them, Evie and his brother to thrive. And then really to look at what kind of solutions can our listeners put in place to really build an inclusive and equitable environment for colleagues who are neurodiverse and also from the global majority and neurodiverse and what's different. So, yeah, I'd like to start with really your personal experiences at work, which um, really drove your interest in equity and inclusion and the Equalities Act.
1: Um, so you, you, I'm just going to say you're going to have to remind me of those three sub-questions again. Um, but from, So what I noticed um, was that we had around 14 staff networks in our organization. We had, an organize, we had a, a staff network for carers, one for Black, Asian and minority ethnic employees. Um, we had a parents network and then lots of other networks. But there was nowhere I could go that saw me as a global majority employee who is a parent of a neurodivergent child. I I didn't quite fit into the disability network. I had different issues compared to what we were generally discussing in the Black, Asian, Minority Ethnic Network. And I couldn't find people or representation in the parents' network. So I actually ended up founding a, a parent support group. So it wasn't its own staff network, but it was a support group for parents. And it's that whole thing, isn't it? Build it and they will come. The minute it was out there, people started to come and gravitate towards this safe space where they could share what was really going on. People who I'd met time and again in meetings and had interacted with over years, whom I never knew had a neurodivergent child.
0: And that's really tough, isn't it? Because there's nothing physical you can see about what's going on and their performance, performance is going to be impacted right Mm -hmm. they're probably too afraid or too shy Mm -hmm. to say what they to talk about what they're dealing with at home
1: and it's one of the reasons i talk so much about the importance of psychological safety in an organization because it's not just about yeah everyone people say oh just show up just be yourself but actually you can create so much harm if you're encouraging your staff to do that you're not providing a psychologically safe environment where they're not going to be judged or marginalised because of whatever it is that they disclose, and and this is borne out in so much data around. Um, you know, there was there was some data published earlier this year in March by Birkbeck University, which uh, it was the only it's the only study so far in the UK that has actually surveyed such a large number of neurodivergent people and their employers. There is actually no UK regular benchmark data on this anywhere, which is, I think, mind blowing. Um, maybe Roger and his expertise can somehow invent that. That would be very grateful. But this data um, showed that of the, so there were over, so I think there was nearly a thousand neurodivergent people who took part in this survey. Only 11% said that after they had disclosed their neurodivergence, they didn't experience any discriminational barriers. So, you know, organisations, it's very easy to say we are so inclusive. But, you know, you've, you've got a very, very small group of people who can attest to that disclosure. Thank you to
0: Roger and Rina for joining me in this extraordinary, deep conversation about neurodivergent privilege. What it is and how it impacts children, how it impacts people at work whether they are neurodivergent themselves or whether they are parents of children who are neurodivergent. Join us for the next episode when we will share with you what it looks like when you get it right in balancing the scales of social justice at work and breaking the wheel of power and privilege around neurodivergence in the workplace. Oh, and do remember to let us know how you found this episode what you've learned from listening to it and any questions you have that we can work through with you
1: we really hope you enjoyed this episode thank you for joining us
0: our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization.
1: You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email, equitychampions@belongingpioneers.com. We
0: look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Tammy said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.